you know, there are going to be something like the, the instruments of husbandry, which are <laughs> the laws. Yeah, did yeah. you know what that was? I don't even know what that is. I, I, I guess I'm not and I, up until like four years ago, did not know what that was either. And I was yeah. like, what are we talking yeah. about? And it, it has to do with the, the laws that are around the farm equipment um, okay. and how they could go on roads and not go on yeah. roads. And so stuff like that, you're like, I'll defer to my, my rural legislators. Yeah. But most other issues, uh, you find yourself having more, right? Bridge the city, whoa, bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city, the city. Bridge the city, whoa, bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in the greatest city in the world, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. And my name is Sam Woods. And I'm Kyle Hagee, and we are grateful that you're continuing to bridge the city into the new year. New year, 2019. Exactly. That's right. We are in 2019. We're grateful to have finished our first year. So I want you to clap for us out loud, whether in your car, you're you're on the bus, you're at home. I mean, we've done one year. And in that one year, we produced 23 episodes. We interviewed over 40 people. We covered various elections. And we really met some amazing people doing amazing things. But the thing that we're most proud of is that hopefully we've inspired you to get more involved in your community. And as you may know, we now have new leadership in the state. Tony Evers was sworn in as the new governor alongside Mandela Barnes as lieutenant governor on January 7th. And Kyle, I heard that Governor Evers actually credited his win to the exposure that he mm-hmm. received for being on the Bridge City podcast. Yeah, that's that's 100% true. So we decided to kick off this new year with a bit of insight on how this divided government is going to function. So we were very fortunate to be able to interview State Senator Dale Kuyenga. He is a Republican from District 5. That's right. Senator Kuyenga spoke about the changing landscape of Wisconsin politics, lame duck legislation passed, his relationship with Governor Evers, and he even offered uh, some non-political ways to get involved within your community. Um, So really from the bottom of all of our collective hearts here at Bridges City, thank you all for 2018. It's been an amazing ride so far. We're really looking forward to 2019 and some new content, but also some new mediums that are on the way for you all. And here's Senator Kuyanga to kick us off with our first episode of the new year. My name is Dale Koenga, and in the public domain, people know me more as a state senator-elect. I've been a state representative for eight years, but uh, in, in my world, my time is more evenly divided between my family, which I'm most proud of, uh, four kids, 10, 10, 9, 7, and 5, my wife, Jennifer, and I'm also in the Army Reserve, spending that for 13 years, do a lot of time. I'm currently stationed at a unit out in Philadelphia, and then also I'm the chief financial officer of a company in Milwaukee, a startup company. Diving a little bit more into your background, both like personal and political. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there any parts of your life that like stand out and made you, made you you? Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up in a very blue collar neighborhood in South Side Chicago. My father was a garbage man. He's recently retired. My mom's a nurse. So I come from just a very blue collar neighborhood, one of four myself. And so when I graduated high school, I went out to the local community college, to your college there. And then I played basketball. And that brought me to Lakeland at the time, Lakeland College, and now it's Lakeland University. Graduated there fairly quickly because they changed the rules on how many credit hours you needed to be a certified public accountant. It used to be just a four-year degree, and then they made it a five-year degree. So being a future accountant, I did the math as far as one more year of school at 30000 yeah, your yeah, living right, expenses right. is 20000 that's 50000 
and then you add in there a year of lost salary, let's say it's another 40000 yeah. So that extra year of school that they passed in the law, which went into effect January 1, 2001, mm-hmm. I just loaded up my schedule and took five classes that summer and six that fall and six that spring oh, and graduated wow. semester early. So I graduated hours before the new deadline and <laughs> saved myself a year of school. Actually, saved myself a year oh. and a half of school. Yeah. I graduated early. So that's what brought me to Milwaukee. I moved to Milwaukee then September 2001, a month that changed the course of our nation and therefore our state. And at the when I moved here, just thought I would be here for one year and then move somewhere cool um, because, you know, I didn't know how cool Milwaukee was at the time and absolutely fell in love with it within the first month or two. Just really saw Milwaukee as a place where a young professional could really network, um, have different experiences across different diverse backgrounds. You know, in Chicago, I don't know if it's just the the attitude or just the size of the city, but if you were to call up a Fortune 500 CEO and ask him if you can meet for a cup of coffee, you're probably not going to get through. And here in Milwaukee, you know, if you, if you really had something that was interesting to meet about, you have Fortune 500 CEOs like, yeah, I'll come on up by my office. I'll give you 20 minutes. You know, I mean, it's just a great place to build a career. And it has everything that a large city has, uh, Chicago or New York. And we have the art museums. We have the NBA teams, the major league teams. We actually have the same lake as Chicago. We have um, really a, a great symphony. Uh, we have nearly every single cultural asset, sports team, uh, we can use an NHL team for that, maybe someday. <laughs> but it's it's really a great place. And at the same time, you know, we're forty five minutes away from like great camping, right? Mm-hmm. So I just love love Milwaukee, love the Wisconsin culture. And so I've been here now for twenty years and it's a place that my wife and I will raise our kids, we'll retire here, we'll build our careers here. Mm-hmm. And just absolutely love it. One of our former guests, Kenita Hickman, one thing she says about Milwaukee that, that really like rang true when she said it was that never more than one person away from who you want to talk to. Or right. Everyone in the city can say, I got a guy or girl for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which I think is like hit the nail on that. What she said, it was like, oh, that's that's perfect. That's that's why I love Milwaukee too. And it sounds like you had a similar mm-hmm. experience when you moved here. It's like there's some combination of, you know, it's, it's small enough to feel like you know enough people. There's like a kind of a small town feel. But big enough that it's a city, right? It has like it has love. Right. And when you're a young professional and you see different aspects of it, that's really important as a young professional. Um, when you're building your networks, when you're trying to build your different experiences. Now that I've moved more, I turned forty in February, you see the different side of that is like as you are now networked and you're buzzing around the city to meet with people for coffees and attend events and, and just be with friends and colleagues, is you're you're buzzing around the city in a matter of twenty minutes from one side to the other. As opposed to a Chicago where you go from the south side to the north side, it could be 90 minutes, sure. you know. Yeah. And so it's great to just get around a city where you're in, there's just so much culture in that in that small footprint of um, different neighborhoods and backgrounds. It's, it's great. Um, so we know you got into politics, or at least in the House, the Assembly, 2011, uh, district representing District 14. Um, tell us a little bit about that district and tell us a little bit about the uh, experiences you've had being in the assembly pre- uh, previous to the state senate, uh, and what you learned about Wisconsin and Milwaukee through that experience. Yeah, so I ran 
fairly fresh coming off a of deployment to Iraq in 2008, and I served in Iraq with a gentleman who was in a, was a state rep. So, well, what do you do? And it sounded really interesting to me, and then came back and did a lot of speaking about what we actually did in Baghdad. There was a lot of confusion as far as what U.S. soldiers do. And in my unit, what we, what we did um, was we tried to build up community. So, although I was trained as a military intelligence officer, my role there was kind of more using my CPA and MBA, got Marquette MBA. Um, so using that background to just speak about what we did in, in Baghdad. And then the seat opened up. People say, hey, you obviously care. You have a lot of passion for the issues. And so ran. And it was a seven-way primary. And we won that seat. And then that year was unopposed in the general election. So it's been eight years now. The district has changed a lot. It used to be one of the more conservative Republican districts in the entire state. And every election, the district has has moved farther from that um, hard Republican seat to a soft Republican seat. And actually recently was actually won by a Democrat. And so when you're talking politically about the change in the Republican Party, um, that district has really represented that, where Hillary Clinton actually beat Donald Trump in that district. And it's a district that really doesn't appreciate tariffs um, with a heavy manufacturing presence. It's also a district um, that really appreciates professional um, communication. And so it's been it's been interesting to um, see the shifts in the Republican Party and how it's affected my district and also how it's really been uh, a Republican within that party who wants to be someone not only within the party, but across party lines, is someone who brings ideas together. I don't think there was a lot of stuff that we work on. It's not Republican or Democrat. Over 90% of bills pass with Democrat and Republican support. So just meeting with folks and trying to find common ground. When you guys walked in the door, I was meeting with a professional from Milwaukee County and talking about, hey, what can we do for you? And just really, I, I, from my perspective in, in the military, is the military is full of Republicans, Democrats, a lot of libertarians, a lot of libertarians. <laughs> and we all fight, we all believe in what we fight for. And if you look in the perspective of time and place, what we're fighting for, we have a lot in common. So really take that attitude of professionalism to my job as a as state rep now, as a state senator, say, let's listen, what works, what can we do together? So, you know, you like to hone, you know, about you know, bring, breaking down walls and making that happen on the bureaucracy. You're talking about reading core, trying to make there's more specific programs targeted to make sure our kids are reading better or college possible with getting more kids in college in front of more kids and navigating to that process when they have parents that didn't have that process themselves and don't know how to navigate that. So I just love meeting with people, identifying the problems, identifying the solutions and then working with them on, on making that solution happen. Can you talk a little bit more about the, how the constituency has changed? Are you speaking yeah. like demographically? Sure, demographically, but is that, do you see a, like a change going forward in how you, like even how you vote or like how you uh, approach certain issues over other ones just because like, well, now you're responsible for the price right. of a whole new constituency. Yeah. But, I think a, a good example of that would be the school funding formula is a very, very complicated formula. There are not many people in the state of Wisconsin that understand that formula, including, I'd say, most legislators. And so what happens is when the budget comes out, you need to understand where the education money is going into the pot and how it's coming out and how it affects your school districts. So there are different types of school districts based on how much property tax value they have. 
And so generally speaking, the way the formula works is a district with high property tax values is going to get a lesser amount of state aid. A district with lower property tax values on average is going to get greater state aid. And there's a lot of other complicated factors in it as well. With that being said, when you have a larger area, I'm now representing West Alice Schools, which has had some financial difficulties and some tough uh, navigation to do on the financial front. I have New Berlin Schools, which is very different than West Alice. And then you have like, like a strange section where some people live in West Alice, but go to school in New Berlin. Um, so my decisions will be very, very specific on education, doing what's best for the district. Um, Wauwatosa is actually one of the largest uh, schools in the state that do a, a process called open enrollment. Open enrollment's when children from other school districts go into that district. So I've always fought really hard to have more money follow the child so that Wauwatosa Public Schools was getting more of the money for educating the kids that are coming from Milwaukee. Because the way it works right now is Milwaukee retains a portion of that money when Wauwatosa Public Schools is educating their kids. So stuff like that where I'm trying to balance it out and work, work will, will change a little bit different based on the demographic or the, uh, sort of the makeup of the school district I represent. So there, yeah, it will change. And like, I, I have very good relationships with our mayors and um, you know, I, I now represent West Alice again. Um, so Dan Devine, I'll sit down with him and listen to him and say, okay, what's the big deal for West Alice? And so there's the issues like the dark store issues, which is a whole other podcast, what that is. And so we'll try to navigate those issues and try to work for those communities. Um, I still don't have any farms. In my, I have like a, I went from no farms in my district. I now have probably three or four farm-like properties okay. in the southeast west corner. So, so I still don't have a lot. Of, I still have a lot of rural issues, okay. but pretty much the the district is very diverse in other ways. Yeah, and so I'll be dealing with city issues, suburban issues, um, issues of people that deal with inner poverty. There's, there's thousands of families in poverty in the district, mm-hmm. and then you have higher end Elm Grove type parts of the district that, yeah. that have different issues. So, yeah, yeah. and there's, there's not just by the nature of, of the way my mind works, there's not many issues that I'm not that interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are going to be some like the, the instruments of husbandry, which are <laughs> the laws. Yeah, and, yeah. Did you know what that was? I don't even know what that is. I, I, I guess I'm not and I, up until like four years ago, did not know what that was either. And I was yeah. like, what are we talking yeah. about? And it, it has to do with the the laws that are around the farm equipment um, okay. and how they could go on roads and not go on yeah. roads. And so stuff like that, you're like, I'll defer to my my rural legislators. Yeah. But most other issues, uh, you find yourself having to learn, right? Sure. Well, so. we'll, we'll have to do an episode on uh, the rules of husbandry. Yeah. That would not be one of the, yeah. yeah. Good luck on that. <laughs> it, was, it would really show you who your big trying, fans trying are, right? Trying to get to a, you know, a new demographic yeah, of listeners. Up. So obviously there was just uh, the midterm elections. Uh, in Wisconsin, uh, elected a whole new host of positions, um, and it's been in the national news a lot lately, um, based on the things that are passed in the lame duck mm-hmm. session. Um, so, could you just describe for our listeners really what uh, what the goal of the bills that are being passed in the lame duck session are? Mm-hmm. And then also, I know there's pe- people that have fears that you know I voted for X, Y, and Z, and I wanted them to have these powers. And now, all of a sudden, maybe they don't have the same powers. They have less powers. The balance of power has shifted. Uh, how do you assure people that like elections still matter, that their voices are still being heard, um, and that you know you can trust in the government to kind of listen to your voice? Right. 
yeah. Well, I'd say at the, at the beginning of this process, the governor in Wisconsin is one of the most powerful executive positions in the country and will still be after this legislation. I think there's been a lot of bad press. Um, some of it justified, some of it not justified as far as the lame duck session. Here's a couple of realities. Um, one reality is that there have been changes at the federal level that we have to react to before 2019. Those include tax changes that have to be done before people start filing their taxes, which will be done in January 2019. So we had to come in. I mean, we're, and also as a legislator, we're getting paid. There is work to do. Um, there has also been a lot of ideas where we've been concerned, and I've been concerned at both the federal and the state level, as far as the balance of power between the executive branch and the legislative branch. And we've actually fought some publicly, some privately, with the Governor Walker and the executive branch and said, hey, it's not personal to you, but you guys have retained a lot of powers that we think that have to do with controlling the purse, which is the constitutional response of the legislature. And as human nature would have it, like they didn't want to give up those powers because like they want the power to do what they want to do. And some of those have been proposed and vetoed by Governor Walker. So it's not like um, those ideas are specific to Governor Evers-elect. Some of those ideas have been a balance of power issue between the legislature and the executive branch. Um, and other ideas I was opposed to, and they didn't pass. And once again, going back earlier in the conversation, we talked about leverage. I'm looking forward to being in the Senate where I have more leverage to affect what's in there, what's not in there. I think when you're in politics, um, and I think this is a huge problem in our country right now, is that everything's black and white. Everyone goes into the trenches and they say, black, this is this is the, the tribe I'm part of, and here's exactly what the tribe constitution looks like, and I'm not going to compromise. And, and I love our constitution. Um, as a reminder, both on an individual level of who we are as people, but also our government is made up of people. And what does our Constitution say? Our Constitution says, in order to form a more perfect union, a more perfect union. Why does it say that? Well, because number one is we're not perfect, right? So if you're having a government formed by people that are not perfect, then you're going to have a government that's not perfect. And the other thing was, is that you had some really good people that came together and passed a document that had some horrible things in there. Some horrible things as far as how black people are treated, um, the fact that like women weren't extended the vote, some some things that were were just morally wrong, right? But yet you had good people sign their names to that because they put in there that we are going to in order to pursue a more perfect union, right? And so when you look at the the, the special session um, in a situation like myself, I look at balance of, of the ideas in there. I look at balance of what we're trying to do. And I'd say, on balance, I had a hard time voting against some of the principles as far as what are the legislative powers or the executive branch powers. And I know the optics were absolutely horrible. Um, and I think that there's definitely room for communication improvement on um, how it was messaged. And it seems personal. I personally have had a really good relationship with Governor-elect Evers as he's been state superintendent. Um, and I'm hoping to extend that favorable, positive working relationship into the governor's office. Um, so yeah, I get it. And I get it. a lot of criticism is justified. All of it is not justified. I think that the reporting has been slanted and biased. And we put out a very, very long, uh, e-updates communication on what was in there and why we supported it. 
and all their stuff in there that says this was in here and we didn't support it and so it didn't pass and so um yeah that's that's my thoughts on it and uh you know i think that my district and constituents um, although it's not i think most of them probably disagree with the the session it means a lot to myself and our office to say here's what it was and here's the rationale so i want to push back a little bit on at least a piece of that um you talk about you know, one of the reasons we're putting forward, you know, this slam dunk legislation is that the governor of Wisconsin is one of the most powerful governors mm-hmm. in the nation, right? I guess that's that's fair. I, I hear that, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I'm certainly sympathetic to you know maybe shifting shifting more power to the state legislature than like having it invested in one person, having it invested in the executive because it's antithetical to constitutional values. Mm-hmm. But I guess my, my but that still doesn't answer, like, why wouldn't you say that you were going to do this before the election? Because I think the, the the biggest issue I have, I think, with it is that it undermines electoral integrity. As a voter, I'm like, well, why should I even vote? Because I, I elect, you know, say I voted for Tony Evers. I expected him, and, you know, Josh Call, Attorney General. Mm-hmm. I expected them to have these powers and be able to fulfill these campaign promises. And now they... They can't. Right, so and let me ask this: what, what power did we take? What power did the legislature take away from Tony Evers that you voted for him to have? I think my, I'm personally more interested in Josh Call's okay. powers and specifically his ability to maneuver out of um, the Affordable Care Act mm-hmm. uh, lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was something that he ran on. Um, it was something that was like synonymous with his. This campaign with his name, um, and now it's much harder for him to fulfill that camp- campaign promise. And if I had known that he wouldn't have been able to fulfill that campaign promise before going in to the election, um, you know that would have factored in like who I voted for, right? right? And so, again, as just like a just a resident of Milwaukee mm-hmm. um, or you know resident of Wisconsin, right. it feels as though my um, like, why should I care about yeah. my elected officials? Because there's there's still time after I voice my opinion mm-hmm. for the circumstances to change. So what's the point? Yeah, in that particular issue, I think that was one of the ones where I was, I think that was one of the sillier ones. And especially because it's actually so non-consequential because that lawsuit is already in the courts. Yeah. And Wisconsin is, I think the number is 20, one of 20 states that has their name on there. And so that court case will go forward with or without Wisconsin's name on it. It's really just, uh, you know, is Wisconsin's name on the lawsuit or not Wisconsin's name on the lawsuit? So in the, if I had to choose what was in and what was out, um, which you don't get to choose as part of only the bills have different provisions in them. That's one I think that was nonsensical because it really is inconsequential. So going back to the powers is if Josh Call was able to take Wisconsin's name off the lawsuit, it really does have changed the fact that if the lawsuit it prevails, um, it's the, the court's decision on that applies to all 50 states equally, despite whose name is on the lawsuit. So that's one of the ones where I, I think it was um, a little nonsensical that he doesn't have the power to pull us out of that lawsuit because it wouldn't be like Wisconsin would stop the court case it would be that Wisconsin's name wasn't on there, so it went from 20 to 19, but the court case keeps going forward. So. Yeah. 
Um, so you mentioned having a really close relationship with Governor Lex Evers. I want to say really close. Make it sound like we're working. Uh, no, we we and we've. I mean, we haven't worked on tons, but we've had uh, you know several meetings. Yeah. And my interaction with him, I thought he was professional. Yeah. And well, we we worked on teachers' licensing issues. His staff that we worked with more than him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, was professional. Yeah. So, yeah. So moving forward with divided government in uh, Wisconsin, <coughs> mm-hmm. what do you think are some issues that voters uh, and residents of Wisconsin can expect? Uh, there can be some bipartisan cooperation on. I know it sounds like you're big on bringing people together, unifying people, and getting issues that people care about through and past so they can start affecting everyday citizens. So what are some that you expect to see some positive movement on? Well, it should be on every issue. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I think on every issue we have room for improvement. We've done a lot economically in Wisconsin. We've done a lot for health care, a lot of progress in education. And, but we've reached no destination on those issues. One mm-hmm. of the issues that is out there that there has not been the progress on that there should have been is transportation. Hoping there will be some leadership on transportation. So, I mean, it's the, it'll be the art of throwing ideas out there and seeing what those ideas the public support and what ideas don't public support and then crafting together compromises and and move forward with compromises that don't hit at the heart of our core principles yeah. and I mean that's I mean there, there's a lot of room there mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that we find that room and move forward so a big part of Bridges City is kind of empowering individuals people that are just everyday citizens how can they get more involved in their community how can they get more involved in government so I'm curious on what are some ways that you've seen constituents uh, interact with you that have really kind of made you think, oh, wow, I need to give uh, more time on this specific issue. Or what are some of the most effective ways for constituents to get involved with their uh, members that are elected to uh, the state senator or the state assembly to have their voices heard? Yeah, well, first of all, in the first part of your question, I really appreciate it because it was based on empowering individuals mm-hmm. and I, I think there's an unhealthy amount of capital sometimes placed into the political process by both parties where people have made the politics themselves their religion is where their salvation and where their justification comes from and personally as a Christian I mean my my hope and faith and salvation comes through my relationship with my Savior right it doesn't come to the political process. What is the political process? Once again, the political process is a process by which men who are not angels are trying to do the best they can, right? And then Democrats and Republicans have different ideas on how we deal with a world of non-angels being governed by non-angels. So what I really appreciate people doing is is engaging politically, and I think people know how to do that. I could vote, write social media, you guys all know that. What I would encourage people to do is to get engaged in your community, in the many, many organizations that are not political in nature, that have an impact and you're working with people across the political spectrum. So I'm a mentor with the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. Had a great relationship with a gentleman who was awesome. He was also six foot seven. We walk into like a coffee shop and people thought it was like the Marquette basketball right. team. He just joined the army. He's doing great. He's thriving. Um, just the mentoring. So mentor someone to Milwaukee Rescue Mission. Secure Our Features is a, is a place where you go into high schools and teach financial literacy. Very, very basic financial literacy stuff. Go in there, volunteer, do that. You talk about College Possible, the reading core, they go read with kids in the, in the high school. There is no shortage of 
opportunities to volunteer and they're volunteer opportunities that the busiest person, I don't think it's been busier than I am. And I somehow find time to get there and interact um, because I think it's the right thing to do, but also gives me perspective. So I would say Republicans, Democrats, they're all bent on shape. They're all bent on shape about something, right? Um, I think what I recommend is be engaged, let your voice be heard, but don't make politics consume your entire life. Um, If you want to get engaged, get engaged with these other organizations that are making a difference across Wisconsin and make an impact. And then, you know, I think at the very least, like you have um, more perspective to base your political opinions on. Yeah, I think I think uh, that's wonderful to hear because that really is kind of the mission of Bridger City is we interview elected officials, but mainly we interview like nonprofit leaders or uh, leaders of business that are doing some really innovative things, getting people engaged because you know, we want people to vote, but we want people to remember that there's things you can do every single day right. outside of the political landscape to make their community better. Uh, and those are the things that ultimately are going to have a big difference over the long run is staying engaged with your community. Um, so it's good to hear that from someone else, too. Yeah, I, have to, I mean, I had an intern who was an intern in our office. He was a Marquette grad, and he just went out to Baltimore, and he's um, doing teaching in Baltimore. And in the city, and he just walked out of the school the other day and saw a guy get shot. And he looked for it on the news, and there was absolutely no reporting of it. There was no news on it because it just happens every single day, right? And if you sit in front of your computer or social media or your television and think that you're seeing a perspective of what's going on out there, it's not what's going on out there. It's part of what's going on out there, and you need to get out there. And whether that be like his story, as far as like, hey, this is happening every day, and you see the stats, but this is actually happening. Like I saw it. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like the more positive side, like every single day, people are getting over drug addiction, they're getting job training, they're changing their course of life. Every single day, kids who come from a background of never going to college are going to college. They're moving up. There's less poverty in the world now than there was. 30 years ago. There's more kids getting vaccines now than there ever was. There's a lot of positives going on, and it's up to you to make those positives keep happening, not only through the political process, but you individually. Like, take it up. Like, go out there and do it, right? And so, steer away from pessimism, steer towards optimism, steer away from solving problems with a keyboard, steer towards solving problems with your arms, your mouth, your mind, engaged in the community. Yeah. So I just kind of want to have a conversation about how you see your constituency and who you represent. I kind of like touched on it earlier. Like there's officially, you know, you represent District 5 or you mm-hmm. represent District 5 um, and that's your constituency. But there's other districts that, you know, people who live in your district may work in Milwaukee or in like a different right. state center district and right. like, you know, live half their lives somewhere else mm-hmm. and so there's kind of like a you know my fate is tied to yours relationship do you do you take into account or you know to what extent do you take into account districts bordering yours that it's not your official constituency but like there's again like their fate is tied to yours yeah okay, so I mean, I, there's a lot of examples of that we talked earlier about agriculture mm-hmm. um besides marrying the farmer's daughter not exactly experience i have a lot in <laughs> So, but still listen, I mean, I met with like the cranberry farmers before and met with the dairy farmers and listened to their perspective. I mean, I have a vote on those issues. Will I be a leader on those issues? No, but I have a vote on those issues and I want to be helpful to what is a key part of Wisconsin's economy. On the flip side of that is I don't have my district, although it has individuals in poverty, it doesn't have wholesale zip codes in poverty, which Milwaukee has. So I've actually spent more time 
in zip codes in Milwaukee from a legislative standpoint in some of those tougher zip codes than in my own district. Because in my own district, I, I, I have a more of a general sense of what needs to be yeah. done. Um, generally speaking, the problems and solutions are less multifaceted than when you're talking about deep, deep poverty with deep violence, deep um, lack of opportunities. And so I, I, the answer to your question, I see my constituency very, very broadly, very broadly. And I would even say, like, not to worry about some of the tax stuff, but the tax stuff we just did is it, it, it now with the new Supreme Court ruling, it said that sales tax, online sales taxes will be collected, but it doesn't require those to be collected for certain businesses that are small. Um, and so, you know, when we apply that, we apply it to businesses that are small, both in Wisconsin and out of Wisconsin. So if you're selling stockings from Montana and selling into Wisconsin, like I don't want to put a huge burden on the one person selling $600 worth of stockings mm -hmm. to Wisconsin and they have to do it in all 49 states. So in that case, like here's someone out of state who's a small business owner. Like I want to make sure there's like a threshold that's fair. So that small business owner like isn't trying to deal with 49 different little sales tax events, right? And I would hope and I know that like people that have that same sense of responsibility from a broader sense of what a constituency in and other states would have the same courtesy and same professionalism. And so then Wisconsin small business owners that are selling in Montana also don't have to deal with Montana sales taxes. majority of my questions for Senator Kuyango were focused on what he sees as his constituency. I think a lot of us have this notion that a state rep or senator is there to represent just the people who live in their district, and strictly speaking, this is true. But the world is more complicated than that. Thousands of residents who live in Senator Kuyenga's district work in Milwaukee and thus indirectly benefit from a blossoming city, even if they do not live there. What's good for Milwaukee is good for his district and vice versa. Senator Kuyenga's appreciation for this symbiotic relationship was inspiring, particularly considering the politically contentious environment at the state level. I hope other state reps can share this broadened concept of their constituency and that issues that come before the legislature in the new year are no longer thought of as strictly big city issues or rural issues. I want to thank Senator Kuyanga for being on the podcast because he was the first Republican elected official to be on Bridges City and one of the only conservative voice that we've had. And we at Bridges City, we are nonpartisan. We aren't in the business of endorsing specific candidates or specific parties. And we think it's important to highlight voices with messages of involvement and community, regardless of their political affiliations. And the thing that really stood out to me with Senator Kuyanga was his passion for service outside of politics. Now, I think obviously that politics are very important. We dedicate a lot of time on the podcast to covering political candidates and political elections, but there's really only you know two or three or four days a year where there's an election and you can make your voice heard in a political way. I think we at Bridge the City and hopefully all of the listeners believe that we have the potential to affect change all 365 days a year. And this can be outside of the political realm. Uh, even as a senator, uh, Kuyango is still active uh, in the military reserves. He finds time to volunteer his own time outside of his political duties. And I think this should really inspire us all in 2019 
to find an avenue to volunteer uh, at a local nonprofit or for a cause uh, that we care about regardless of the political party that's in power. Because I think it's easier to be more involved and more passionate and more active when you feel like you're part of the resistance. You disagree with those in power, so you're going to make sure your voice is heard and you're going to make sure that the organizations you care about still can succeed. But I think when you see your political party in power, you can kind of loosen the reins. And so I'm going to ask all of our listeners that supported Tony Evers and the Democratic Party that they're happy now that they have their governor in office. Let's not let up. Let's continue to fight for our community with the same fervor every single day. And I think Senator Kuyenga really spoke to this need for engagement every single day and the ability for people to make a difference all 365 days a year. All right, this takes us to the end of our 24th episode and our first of 2019. We want to thank the Senator for being on and we really want to thank his legislative aide, Rachel Vanderweel, for helping set up the interview. And Sam, if it's okay with you, I think I want to share my New Year's resolution oh, go for with it, all yeah. the listeners. I'd love to hear it. I'm really a reflective person. Yeah. I did. took New Year's very seriously and I thought what would be the best going into the new year. And I think I found it. And that is for everyone who's listening right now to go rate, comment, and subscribe okay. to the podcast. Okay. Because that helps other people discover the podcast. More people that discover the it podcast, does. more people get involved in Milwaukee. And it becomes a better place. Perfect. So that's that's rate, subscribe, and comment on the podcast. Uh, let's help Kyle follow through on his resolution. Yes, yeah. wonderful. Um, I think my resolution going forward is to firstly thank all of you for making Bridge <laughs> City what it was in 2018. And we look forward to an amazing 2019 together as we continue to help Bridge the City. Bridge the City. Whoa. Bridge the City. Yeah. Bridge the City. Yeah. Gotta bridge the city. The city.